Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Una here to pull to Greetings and Harimai, welcome to our Primary Industries virtual field trip supported by the Ministry of Primary Industries. Uh, I'm Shelley, the Learns Field Trip Teacher, and it's just after 9.15am on Thursday the 23rd of May. And I'd like to introduce you to our experts from Plant and Food Research today. We've got Jim and Anna. Um, guys, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Jim? Well, all of our work really is around uh, growing apples, but not just growing apples. It's, it's protecting apples and, and from pests uh, and diseases. Anna. And I've just recently joined about two years ago, uh, joined Jim's team, the entomology team down in Hawke's Bay and learning every day still. There's plenty to, to learn, but it's great experience and it's great to know how to uh, work with apples and apple pests and how to monitor and manage them. Mm, and really looking forward to finding out more about the work that you guys do in um, our session this morning. So the videos from that will be online for you tomorrow. And if you want to find out a little bit more about any of our experts, because we've had lots of experts on this field trip, you can check out their profiles on the website. Uh, so we're at Plant and Food Research in Havelock North on a beautiful sunny day. We've just met in a meeting room, so we've got a quiet space to talk to you this morning. But later on, we're going to visit some of the laboratories here at Plant and Food Research, where there's all sorts of work going on, all sorts of different research, different scientists looking at different aspects of food production, not all about apples, but we're focusing on apples on this field trip. But a very interesting place, lots and lots happening. So a big welcome to our listening schools and our speaking schools this morning. We've got uh, Pukekohe Intermediate, Room 1 and Room 5, so a big welcome to you. And our ambassadors also want to say a big good morning. We've got Maya, the cheeky Kia, the Loons Ambassador, and Tiaki, the Ruru. Beautiful sounding warpork. Luckily, she... Uh, just finds a quiet corner in the evening to uh, play her tune. Good stuff. So we'll get started with questions. Um, and if Pukakai Intermediate, when you've got your question to ask, if you can come up uh, nice and close to the computer so we can hear you and just say your first name so we know who we're talking to. Okay, we'll start with question number one, please. Mariana and... Um why are green apples sour? Good question. Good question, Good question Mariana. The, uh, the thing uh, about green apples, green apples can be immature. They're just not ready. So that's one of the things that makes a green apple sour. But you can have green apples that are sweet. And uh, for example, uh, Granny Smith. I don't know if any of you have heard of Granny Smith as an apple. But that's a, a green apple. So it's all about how mature the apple is. So we have green-skinned apples and red-skinned apples. And uh, we just have to wait. But they all become mature 
and sweet at some point. Mm, so that ripening process, changing the colour of the apples and changing the, the sweetness to mm. replace that sourness. Interesting. Thank you. And question two now, please. Rowena. Morning, Rowena. How can you tell the difference between an apple tree and another tree when there are no apples on it? That is a good question because obviously if there's apples on it, that's a, it's a giveaway, but mm. if there isn't... Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, we can actually, once you get to understand what the bark looks like, you can make the distinguishing mm. characteristics between an apple and another tree. Mm. So, um, of course, apple trees lose their leaves. So that means that they are what we would call deciduous. They lose their leaves as against other evergreen trees that don't lose their leaves. But after a while, you can get quite good at even telling one apple variety from another apple variety, two different apple trees apart, just by the, uh, the colour of their bark and, the, and the, the nature of the bark. Mm. Which would take many years. Yeah. <laughs> mm, and, Good question. And you talked about the, the leaves being something that you can use in the bark. Um, is there anything special about the blossom that gives it away for apple trees? Yeah, apple trees uh, mostly have uh, the uh, white blossom with a, a pink throat to the, to the flower. Mm. So... Yes, once you get good, you can spot an apple tree from a long way away at flowering time because mm. it's quite a unique flower. Mm. And good to suss an apple tree before it starts producing fruit. So you're the first there to get fruit if it's one that's growing in the wild. Absolutely. Good, good question. Very useful. And, of course, there are tools as well that you can use to identify all sorts of um, fauna and flora, plants and animals. You can use Nature Watch. Um, taking photos of things uh, through their app and then other scientists can come online and help you identify things as well. Great question. Question number three now, please. Alexa. Morning. How many varieties of apples are there in the world? Thanks, Alexa. Well, we were thinking about this, so I think there are hundreds of apple varieties, so we can't be certain how many there are exactly, but there are many, many out there. Uh, in New Zealand, how many do we have commercial ones? Uh, we would e even have in New Zealand hundreds mm. of apple varieties, mm. and in fact, our organisation has collected apple varieties from many, many different countries mm. around the world, and we have all of those uh, here in New Zealand. Mm. That's what makes them so delicious. You can pick some traits that, that you like and then you, you make that into a specific variety over years and years of, of breeding. Mm, and we did a, a really cool video with Chrissy yesterday mm. explaining the selective breeding process. So the, the process of choosing parent trees and fertilising flowers to get the apple to grow and then collecting the seeds and then growing on over a number of years to try and get the kind of apple variety that you want. So it can take, like, 15 years or more? 15 to 20 years, yeah. To create a new apple variety. And New Zealand seems to be very good at it because we've got some 
fantastic new varieties like Envy. Mm. Envy's been my favourite this week. It's, it's absolutely delicious. And, and when you think about it, where did apples come from originally? Uh, the source place for apples for the world really goes all the way back to near Turkey and mm. uh, that area. So we've had people go to those parts of the world and collect all the different varieties of apples, and then we use that to breed new apples like Envy. Really interesting. I had mm. no idea that apples originally came from Turkey. I'd yeah. never even thought about it, actually. I do remember seeing apples growing when I was in India, and it was like 3,000 metres up in the mountains, and it just blew me away that they could grow apples at that height. Yeah, it's, it's that whole um, uh, Turkey through to the... Uh, Urals, that Russian Turkey sort of area. Mm. It's quite a large area for the origins of the original apples. Right. There you go. Very interesting. Mm. Thank yeah. you. And next question, please. Mediana. Apart from red and green apples, do apples come in any other colour? Mm, and we saw some varieties yesterday. Mm. Yes, so we've got uh, yellow in all sorts of different colours, but they also, not only the outside, you can also, uh, there are different coloured fleshed apples. So we're currently working on uh, red fleshed apples. And uh, so, yes, there are many, many different colours out there, depending on the variety of apple that you're, you're looking at. Mm, and if you check out my diary from uh, the travel day, Monday, you'll see a photo of some apples in the supermarket. And I was just blown away at mm. how many different varieties were mm. there were. And it all looked very pretty because there was a mm. lot of different colours as well. Yep, you can get red all the way through to green, yellow mm. in the middle. Mm. But then you've got all the variations, pinks, mm. uh, and then what we call bicolour, which is pink and say yellow together mm. and then we've got stripes oh wow so there's lots of diversity yeah indeed good question and went up to question five i think alexa how do apples how does the apple develop on the branch of a tree thanks alexa that's that's a, a Really good question. It's quite a tough question because the apples and the flower for the apple starts to develop around about March each year. So even while the apple is still on the tree, the apples for next season are all being already developing in the buds on the tree. The flower buds mm -hmm. are beginning to develop. So uh, from that point, of course, the tree goes dormant loses its leaves, and then we get through to spring, and of course we've got flowering, pollination, pollination mm. where the honeybees are involved. And uh, then of course, once the fruit begins to set, then it's just progressive uh, uh, development and expansion of the, the, the cells mm. in, the, in the fruit at that time. So, and it takes about 120 days from the point of flowering through to the point of harvest. Ah, that must be quite a good indicator of um, planning ahead for orchards to, to know from that point of flowering 120 days until fruit. 
Yeah. And weather would be a big factor in how well they develop. And you wouldn't want to frost early on because the buds could fall off. So it's something that they'll have to monitor all the time to make sure that the weather conditions are right and they protect their their buds and their mm. flowers. Mm. Fantastic. And question number six now, please. Do apples ripen after they are picked? And how do apples stay ripe and not go off when exported overseas? Very good question. And we did a video that um, will help you understand this more as well. Um, so check out the videos from yesterday, um, particularly the one we did with Hannah in the lab because she was doing some tests. But guys, how can we answer that one? That's, that's a really mm. good question. Yes, uh, apple. When the minute the minute you pick an apple tree, sorry, an apple fruit from the tree, of course, it's no longer living. It's it's starting to die. So you know what the role of us here in, in science is really to ensure that we maintain that fruit in the best possible condition mm -hmm. for as long as we can. You have to pick the fruit at exactly the right time. So that whole maturity of the fruit is really, really critical. It's really important. Yes, the sugars continue to develop in the fruit after it's picked. So the fruit can become sweeter. But then at some point, it all begins to go bad. Mm. It begins to collapse. And of course, we've got different varieties keep for different times after picking. So something like Royal Gala, I'm sure you all know Royal Gala apples. They are early, they don't keep very long. Mm. But then we've got something like uh, Envy, picked later, and it stores for a very long time. So yeah, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of difference between the different varieties and how they store and how they keep. But getting the maturity, the time of picking, absolutely right for the variety is, is critical. And there's a few things that you can do to preserve your fruit for a, a bit longer. So keeping them in chilled, cool environment, and that's where our post-harvest team would come in, where they look at different ways of, of uh, getting that, preserving the fruit and making sure it doesn't go off. So... Yeah, definitely worth watching Hannah's video. I'm sure she went into a lot of detail mm, yeah. about how to preserve yep. the apples. And um, she was doing tests to make sure that apples were um, still fresh, mm. so uh, testing their firmness and um, actually testing how much ethylene they were mm -hmm. producing. So ethylene is a gas that is naturally produced by apples and it keeps the ripening process going so it, it makes the fruit go off quicker. So, I mean, you can put an apple in a paper bag with kiwi fruit to encourage your, your solid kiwi fruit to ripen and soften up so you can eat them and speed up that ripening process. If you've got kiwi fruit that you've bought from the supermarket and you want to eat them sooner, pop them in a bag with an apple with that ethylene, they'll ripen and, and be ready to eat sooner. But yeah, not so good when you want to store your apples and they're all producing ethylene. You want to reduce that. So there's there's a system that can be used, quite expensive, called SmartFresh. Do you guys Smart know yeah. about that? Yep. So the whole thing there is actually 
stopping the fruit producing ethylene. So we can do that by lowering the temperature and the closer we get to freezing temperatures without damaging the fruit, the less ethylene is mm. going to be produced. But then we've got another um, compound which is called SmartFresh, which is a natural product that can block the ethylene production in the fruit. So that slows again the whole ripening process in the fruit. Because we want to get our fruit to distant countries and it's really important that we get it there in the best possible condition if we're going to ship it all the way to Europe. Mm, good point. Great question. And question number seven now, please. Uh, my name's Jen. Can you, can you tell us a, a little more about the countries that our New Zealand apples get exported to? Um, can they not grow their own? And do they only travel by ship? Very good questions following on from our... Do you want me to answer that? Or? Well, we can do a combination. I was yeah. just going to say we export to a number of countries, so on different continents. So we've got Asia, America, Europe, and within that, Jim, you probably know a bit more specific, but Japan, yep. Taiwan, and yep. they all have different um, requirements of uh, the different standards for the apples that we have to export out. So it uh, just depends on what country we're exporting to, to what standard our apples have to be produced. And so why do we... Yeah, we, we ship to 70 countries around the world. Most of those countries are in the Northern Hemisphere. And here we are down in the South Pacific, the Southern Hemisphere. So we have our summertime, of course, uh, in their wintertime. So we can produce fresh apples for the Northern Hemisphere mm -hmm. when they haven't got access to fresh apples. Yep. So that's a big advantage for New Zealand. There are not a lot of countries in the Southern Hemisphere that produce apples. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big opportunity for us to supply those North American and Chinese and European markets with fresh fruit in the middle of their winter. Mm -hmm. Mm, and there's nothing like fresh fruit in the middle of winter. So we're lucky to have our own locally grown apples in winter and citrus fruit as well. And question number eight now. Hi, my name is Nick. How are the growers going to compensate with global warming in the future? Sorry, we didn't quite catch you. If you could repeat, that would be great. Hi, my name is Nick. How are the girls going to manage global warming in the future? And that's a really good question. Thanks, Nick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we all know that the temperatures are going to get warmer. Mm -hmm. So for what we see happening is that people and production will move south. In the case of New Zealand, we are seeing now more uh, kiwi fruit uh, grown in Hawke's Bay we will continue to see apples growing in areas and expand uh, to more southern regions. So there will be, over time, global warming is not a rapid process, but there will be progressive expansion of our industries further south and into cooler areas. Mm. We will have to do that, and some of the areas uh, that are further north will probably no longer be able to produce these sort of crops but they might be growing other crops. 
maybe at some point we might actually be growing bananas and, and mangoes in tipoki rather than kiwi fruit. Mm, that's really interesting. And as you say, um, global warming, it's not, it's not a fast process, but we can expect more extreme weather events. How, mm. how are orchardists going to cope with um, what could potentially be more and more severe storms? Mm. More severe storms and more severe droughts. So mm. we have to think about irrigation for the future. And we, and we need to be mindful of the need to store water and not let it all run mm. to the sea. Mm. Um, so that's important. Uh, in terms of uh, the storms, Nearly all of our orchards today, we have structures there to support the trees. So we use posts to manage the strong winds, which could actually destroy an orchard, which has taken 15 to 20 years to, to reach that point. So we're going to have to deal with storms, hail, storms and, and all. But yeah, global warming is not good for any of us. No, something we all need to think about um, what we can do to reduce. Very important question. Thanks, Nick. And question number nine now, please. Hi, my name is PJ. How do you control the sugar levels in apples when breeding new varieties? Mm, really interesting. Thanks, PJ. Yes, please. <laughs> Not my area of expertise, I must admit. <laughs> So different consumers have different preferences. Some consumers like sweet apples and some consumers like sour apples. So when the apples that we ship to Asia, the Asian people like sweet apples. The Europeans, on the other hand, like what we would call tart or sour apples. It's a cultural difference. So we do both. We produce apples like Braeburn and Jazz are well suited for, for Europe, whereas apples like uh, uh, Pacific Rose, uh, Pacific Queen, Pacific Beauty are more suited for the Asian palate. So we have different breeding programs with different characteristics and traits. If we want to get an apple that's sweet, then we take those parents of sweet apples and cross them to get the right sort of sugar levels and sweetness profile, the flavor profile that's appropriate for the market. If we're breeding a new apple for Europe, then uh, we're probably gonna use an apple like uh, Braeburn as a parent because it's pretty sour and it's something they like already. So if we want a bit, something that's a little bit different, Braeburn's a good parent to start with and then cross it with another apple with the other qualities that are going to be suitable. So it's all in the genetics. Mm, all about choosing the, the right parents to start with. So not to be confused with um, genetic modification and genetic and engineering and all that sort of thing. No. It's a natural sort of process that you're, you're using, um, but really important to be able to find those characteristics that you're looking for. Okay, question number 10 now, please. Hi, I'm Connor. We've heard about the red-fleshed apple, but would it be possible to produce a different coloured apple? Mm, good thinking. Mm. So I guess the same concept would apply to choosing a different colour. You select that trait and you 
you add that to your breeding program to produce a different colored flesh. So in theory. And in, in the natural uh, um, diversity that there is in those apples, mm. when we go all the way back to where apples originated from that uh, area close around to, to Turkey, there's quite a lot of diversity. So we have to go back and look at and look for different colours. Mm. We have found that we can get red-fleshed apples, we can get pink-fleshed apples, we can't get blue-fleshed apples. <laughs> I don't know that we'd want blue-fleshed mm. apples, but certainly pink is a, one of those natural, and the reds are natural colours, and they're out there in the original parent material that we can source uh, from those regions. So there are limits. We're never going to get black-fleshed apples. Green is a possibility, but not blue. Mm. Yeah, and as you say, I don't know that I'd want to eat a blue-fleshed apple. No. Yeah, just psychologically it seems wrong. Mm. Okay, question number 11 now, please. Hi, I'm Madison. As a world-leading apple-growing country with a great reputation, what biosecurity measures do we take to protect our apple industry and our apples that are exported? That is a very big question. Well done, Madison. And lots of people here at Plant and Food Research are working very hard on that very thing. There's a lot that we do. You've probably heard about the fruit fly issue in Auckland. It's been on the news uh, quite a lot lately. If we got fruit fly established here in New Zealand, it would wipe out potentially about $4 billion worth of our exports and have major consequences. So New Zealand, more than any other country in the world, is very protective of our borders. We are really lucky that we're isolated. Mm. We've got the Pacific Ocean all around us, which protects us. Mm. But then... We are shipping apples around, we're shipping produce, we're moving uh, containers and that. We trade with the rest of the world. All of that, it's our behaviour, it's man's behaviour that brings with it that risk. Mm. So we spend a, a lot of time and effort. You've all probably been through uh, uh, border inspection or some of you will have gone through border inspection uh, when you come in and see the uh, to New Zealand, uh, you've seen the border security programs on TV. The level of inspection in New Zealand is probably second to none in the world. So we're doing a lot. We have even sent away ships recently that have been infested with, you might have heard about it, it's a nasty insect called the stink bug. The stink bug, we have actually turned ships away refused entry to New Zealand simply because they're carrying these stink bugs that we don't want. So we do a lot. We can't do too much, mm. though. We've got to really protect ourselves. Mm. And if you have a read of the biosecurity page on the LEARNS website, you'll see that there is a phone number that you can ring if you are suspicious of any um, pest that has entered the country. Um, you may not know whether it is a pest or not, but if you're suspicious for some reason, there's a, a phone call um, that you can make and that might be something that saves our country from a really uh, 
damaging pets. So we can all help with biosecurity. We can all think about how we travel around the country, like if we're tramping and things and we've got really muddy boots and we're from Dunedin like me, then I, I, I clean my boots before I come to Hawke's Bay because who knows, there might be something in that mud that they don't want here in Hawke's Bay when I'm traipsing around an orchard. So we all have a responsibility to think about what we're moving around our own country and to other countries and if we're coming back from overseas really important to clean everything really thoroughly and look for anything that might be suspicious that's a great great question to end on thank you very much pukakoi intermediate for your quality questions this morning it's been a pleasure talking to you and we're now going to have a few minutes where people can ask some extra questions so there is the chat pod. If you scroll down to the bottom of your screen, you'll see a little chat bubble. If you click on that, it brings up the chat window and you can type in any questions. I've got one to get us going before anything else goes in there. So I grew up with a, um, with a saying that was uh, called an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And I'm not sure that people young kids now hear about that. So I wonder what might prompt um, people to have made that a saying that was repeated over and over. And is, if, and is it still true? I remember hearing that <laughs> as a kid as well. Ab absolutely, it's, it's uh, still true. There are lots of health benefits associated with, uh, with apples. I mean, you've got I guess, roughage in the first instance for a healthy bowel. You know, that's really, really important. You've got antioxidants. Antioxidants are, are really, really important in terms of general function of, of your body. You've got uh, vitamin C. Vitamin C is really important uh, for health and, and well-being. You get sick if you don't get vitamin C. So... An apple a day is, and it's not just exclusive to apples, but fruit, and that's the whole message. And I think an apple a day is really, is really great as part of your diet, but it's a mixture in there, and keeping your fruit consumption high is really important for future health. Mm, and we are lucky that we've got so much good fruit here in New Zealand, and if you don't like apples... Well, there's oranges and there's kiwi fruit and there's all sorts of other fruit that can give you the same health benefits as well. And really good to be able to buy in season when it's local rather than having to buy something that's overseas. So buying locally grown is always good too. All right, I can see uh, some other questions in our chat window. We've got one from Pukakoi again. How are the golden apples made? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Again, this really comes back to choosing the parents. So um, golden apples, and we have uh, one here that used to be grown a lot in New Zealand called Golden Delicious. And that was a really bright sort of yellowish uh, apple when it was mature. And uh, that has been the parent for quite a number of the apple varieties that we have today. Golden Delicious, because of its uh, yellow skin color, but also being a relatively sweet uh, apple. 
but it was very sensitive to bruising. So it has been uh, moved on. We don't grow Golden Delicious anymore, but we certainly have used Golden Delicious as, as parents uh, in our bre- get improved uh, apple variety. And another question here about removing um, dying trees if they've been affected too much by, say, pests or diseases or they've just reached the end of their, their productive life, they're not producing any good apples anymore. Um, how's that done on an orchard? How do they remove those trees? It's, it's a big task, so mm. growers don't want to do that very often. You it's know, important. It's important. But... Uh, in the apple industry today, we're of course planting new varieties. So, and we're using more dwarfing trees, trees that are not as big as they used to be. So, when we have to change the rootstock and the variety, all those trees come out. They're pulled out. They're pulled out. Literally, um, we we have uh, uh, like a a, a, a giant uh, tractor thing with a clamp that literally just wrenches the trees out and uh, of course that creates a big problem for us then because we have to think about what are we going to do with all of that material so there are lots of issues around uh, the keeping our air quality up and uh, when that material is burnt uh, and that but of course at any one time we're only doing that turnover on a a progressive way. We're not replacing huge areas of orchard each year because it takes a long time to replace them mm-hmm. and you have to have some income uh, while you're growing your next block of trees. Mm. Indeed. Um, and just reading in the chat window here, is there a certain apple that is only used for juicing, making apple juice? And it's from Ethan from Pukako Intermediate. Well, surprisingly, there is one apple that is uh, largely used for juice these days, and that's the apple variety Braeburn. Many of you might have heard of Braeburn apples. It was a very important uh, apple variety about 30 years ago for New Zealand. Globally, the demand has dropped, but it is a great apple for juice. So there's still a lot of uh, apple trees, Braeburn apple trees grown, but for juice these days. Mm. And it's because it's not too sweet. It's got a lot of flavor associated with it. And it's often used the Braeburn apple to blend into other apple juices to give the juice, not just sweetness, but flavor. Mm, And I must admit, I'm a fan of Braeburn apples. (laughs) Um, It's got a good, good bite to them as well. Um, and why are some apples flowery? And that's from Angus mm. and at Pukakoi Intermediate. I suppose it's more associated with over-ripening. Once you pick an apple that has been on the tree for a little bit too long, they might have um, over-ripened and they produce that flowery taste when you bite into it. It's not as, not as pleasant as a crisp apple, but... That's why we have to be careful when we're picking our apples to make sure that we're monitoring them and that they're picked at the right time so that they aren't flowery because that could cause a lot of problems when you're selling it or 
exporting it overseas, you wouldn't want flowery apples shipped anywhere so, else. So on that whole thing, there's what we call crunch and mm. texture. It's really important. So a good apple, when it's picked at the right time and has the right texture, it should have a loud crunch associated with it. But there are some apples that lose that texture really, really quickly. Mm. So they have poor texture. And one of those would be the traditional red delicious, the older apples. Two or three weeks after picking, the crunch is gone and they're on the road to being flowering. We try and not select those sort of apples anymore. Mm, and if you uh, leave your apple in the fruit bowl a little too long, you haven't kept it in the fridge, well, yeah, it might be flowery as well. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, has any research been done into people's allergies to apples? That's an interesting one. Hmm. Yeah. It is. We, uh, we do a lot of work uh, and we actually have what we call consumer sensory panels. So these are people that are actually tasting the new apple varieties and that as they are developed and coming along. So uh, we are working with that. Allergies. Allergies to apples are, would be unusual or uncommon. Mm. I have uh, a know about uh, allergies in some instances to kiwi fruit, but to my knowledge, I'm not aware of any allergy to apple. Mm. But it's the astringency sometimes associated with kiwi fruit that mm. can be the problem. I think I think Barry's putting his hand up there saying that he's got an apple allergy. <laughs> You're one of the few, Barry. <laughs> I, I know that some people eat apples when they've got. Um, particularly cooked apples when they've got an upset stomach and it sort of settles their stomach. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to do with the, the acidity and sugars and yeah. the apples yeah. and things. Um, it's only some apples and um, and it's only if they're raw. And, it's, I, and I'm often better off if I peel the skin off, but I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You're an interesting mm. creature, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> One of a kind. <laughs> Absolutely. I can get an answer on that for you if you really want, but it won't be for me. <laughs> That'd be great. Some, some research, Barry. Yeah, it might have to be my own. I think this is probably our last question. Yeah. We've got um, lots of things to get on with today and make those videos for you. So how much a tonne do the growers get when exporting apples? And that's from Charlie at Pukekohe Intermediate. Wow, that's a good question. It varies a lot on the variety, but if you take a premium variety like uh, uh, Envy, you've heard about Envy as an apple, the growers can produce 100 tonnes per hectare and the growers can make $200,000 per hectare. So from that, you can see that the growers are perhaps getting as much as $2,000 a tonne uh, for their Envy apples. That's right at the premium end of the market. So Envy, that's the best possible. Most of the other apple varieties would be half that. So when you've got something that's really good and unique, and this is why we're doing a lot to develop what we would call premium apples, apples that people really want there's strong demand for because the returns can double to the growers but two thousand dollars a ton 
is the best possible scenario, more realistically, maybe $1,000 a mm. ton. Mm. And there's been a lot of work done over a, a lot of years to get to that point where you've even got the MB Apple variety in the first place. So a lot of mm. has been invested where that kind of money can be made. Great question to finish on. And thank you very much to all our schools taking part this morning. And this is our final web conference for this field trip. So do check out the recordings and the rest of the videos from the rest of the trip. And I hope you can join us on another field trip soon. In the meantime, you can all unmute your microphones and say a big goodbye. Bye, guys. Well done. Bye. Bye. Great job. Have a good day, everyone. And we'll see you on another field trip. Have a good day. Bye, Mr. Devils.